grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. morning. Happy Palm Sunday. That's great. You guys are much more awake than the nine o'clock crowd, and it's got something to do with the bells and the drums and the clarinet. That's all beautiful stuff. Friends, we are gathered here, whether in person or online, to celebrate the gift of God into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. So let us remember that celebratory spirit as we are called together in worship now, reading responsively from Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Friends, let us worship God.
Please be seated. We offer our praises, our anthems to the Lord, the Lord Jesus who entered Jerusalem's gates, the same Lord who enters the gates of our hearts, of our lives, of this world. Hosanna, which means he saves, and with that promise, that truth, we can grab hold of it and believe it, knowing that he saves us, saves the world. And in that promise, therefore, we can confess our sins to God and in the presence of one another. And so in one voice, let us confess our sins together. Eternal God, in Jesus Christ, you enter Jerusalem to die for our sins. We confess that we have not hailed you as king or gone before you in the world with praise. For brief faith that fades in trouble, for enthusiasms that fizzle out, for hopes we parade but do not pursue, have mercy on us. Forgive us, God, and give us such trust in your power that in every city we may live for justice and tell of your loving kindness for the sake of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends and sisters and brothers in Christ and people of God, let us hear and receive, believe, and trust in the good news of God in Jesus Christ again. That God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus Christ for the life of the world. In his life, in his death, in his resurrection, we are saved. We are set free. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Hosanna. Amen. May the peace of Jesus Christ be with you. God has given us peace with him and with one another. Therefore, let us share signs of God's love and peace with one another. Whatever adverb that feels good, do it. You folks are pretty good at doing adverbs. Exactly what that means, I'm not sure, but it works out well. It works out well. Well, friends, this is Palm Sunday, and I see that many of you accepted my invitation to wear something green today to celebrate the palm color. We also, of course, are wearing purple, the traditional color of the season of Lent in which we still are. So in my book, green and purple go extremely well together. So thanks for wearing that. This is, of course, the official beginning of Holy Week, so let me remind you of just a few things. This coming Thursday is Maundy Thursday. The word Maundy is the root of our word mandate, and we celebrate Jesus' mandate to us to love each other, a love that he demonstrated in the gift of the Lord's Supper as Jesus transformed the meaning of the Jewish Passover. We'll celebrate the Lord's Supper this coming Thursday evening evening at 7 o'clock here in the sanctuary, and we will follow that with the tenebrae service of darkness, reading through some of the scriptures that speak of Jesus' suffering and crucifixion, and then in all of that we will prepare, we will make our souls ready to celebrate not only the death of Christ, but also his resurrection. Next Sunday at 7 o'clock, the Lord willing, we'll be out on the patio, and then at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock, we'll be here in the sanctuary to worship. 
A couple of weeks from today, on April 24th, we will have just one service, a unified service at 10 o'clock in the morning here in the sanctuary so that we can celebrate together the eight years of ministry of Neil Pressa and the rest of the Pressa family. We'll follow that up with a luncheon. We would like to know if you're planning to come to lunch, so please RSVP with the email address that we have been sending out to you via our email messages. We want to be sure to have plenty of food for everyone because Jan gets a little cranky if we don't have food for her. So that's the reason for the RSVPs is we want to be prepared to celebrate. And then finally, let me mention our Women's Spring Luncheon is happening on May 4th. That's just a few weeks from now. We'll be telling you more about that as we go. We are happy to welcome today Amber Key, who's with us with Hope Unlimited, and Jan's going to share a word about that. For nearly 30 years, this church has been engaged with Hope Unlimited. It is in Brazil. It works with mortally at-risk children. And Amber is here to share a little bit about that ministry and the way in which we engage. Well, thank you very much. I'm so excited to be here with you guys today and looking forward to meeting many of you after the service. As you may know, Hope Unlimited for Children has two campuses in Brazil existing to save street children, kids who either have no parents or have fled the home due to abuse and exploitation by destitute and often drug-addicted adults. Like Alfredo, whose mom forced him to swallow balloons filled with cocaine and deliver them for the local drug lord. Or Ileana, who was locked in a garden shed and sold as a prostitute. The streets aren't any better, they're very cruel, and without intervention, our children have a life expectancy of only three to five years. But when they come to Hope Unlimited, they become part of our forever family. House parents become surrogate moms and dads, guiding them as they grow. They receive academic and vocational training, so when they graduate, they have viable opportunities for careers and don't need to return to crime. And most importantly, they are introduced to the transformational love of Jesus Christ, the only source of true hope. We have many updates out of Brazil, including a new graduate church, thrift store, and drug detox center near Hope Mountain. So please come see me after the service and find out all about it. Thank you very much. God bless. And Amber, we also wanted to give to you this bag. This is filled. Many of you helped sign Valentine cards, which in Brazil is in June. I know that vexed a few of you. Why are we doing this in March? But in June, they celebrate Valentine's, so over 150 cards are going down for the students that are down there. And I thank you for being engaged in that. And Amber, God bless you and the work of Hope Unlimited. Please go see her after the service and learn more. So, gentlemen, you might have missed the good news that was just preached to you, that in case you missed Valentine's on February 14th, you can simply say that you're planning to celebrate the Brazilian version. It's more exotic that way, okay? 
I have more good news for you, and that is that God invites us and encourages us to be part of the work that He is doing in the world. We do that as we give ourselves to God, and we signify that gift of ourselves as we bring to God our tithes and offerings. So as we have the next musical piece, I invite you to come forward to the offering uh, baskets here or to use one of the baskets at the exits as you leave today. In whatever way you can, in whatever way the Lord calls, give back to His work. It will be the best thing you do. God bless. Let us join together in a time of prayer. Holy and gracious God, we are gathered on this Palm Sunday to give you praise and worship you, to remember especially the works of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who entered Jerusalem to be crucified on our behalf. 
we come to pray for our church, our country, and the world. Guided by your Holy Spirit, we pray for the many people who will visit our church this week, those whose tradition leads them back on Easter morning, and those whose heart is quickened by the beauty of a tenebrae service. Many who do not know you, Lord, will come. But you, our God, know each of us by name. You call us unto yourself. We lift up those who do not yet confess you as Lord and pray that they would be touched this week as we walk the road to Golgotha and the resurrection. Help us to be your outstretched arms this week especially, reaching out to welcome and embrace all that come. Let us go beyond this campus, this beautiful sanctuary set apart for you, and welcome the stranger as you would welcome them. Be with Pastor Jack as he brings a message today, one of deep hurt, but more importantly, a story of forgiveness and redemption. Be with newly elected Chief Justice Brown Jackson and all who serve on the Supreme Court. Let them be united in upholding the law with care, compassion, and a commitment to righteousness in all their actions. Create new hearts in each of us, especially this week, and hear now our prayers for our congregation. We continue to pray for Joanne. Heal her body, Lord. Comfort Shirley as she grieves the loss of her beloved Bill. Heal little Ariano and be with John. Lengthen the days for June and hear our prayers for the many we lift up to you alone, Lord God, as we pray for healing and wholeness. We continue to pray for the people of Ukraine, for the many who minister there and for the military work to protect their country. We pray peace, we pray protection, we pray for understanding, Lord, that only you can bring. Hear now our prayers this morning and each day as we give thanks to you, almighty God. You sent your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, to take our flesh upon him and to suffer death on the cross. Grant that we may share in his obedience to your will and in the glorious victory of his resurrection through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever, as we pray together the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
It's sometimes hard for me to get up and read after such amazing music. And looking at your faces as you receive the gift of that beauty. Friends, stand with me now. And together, let us open our hearts to further expression of the truth of God's love as we find it recorded in the Gospel according to John. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their officer, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they took him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this men's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and they asked him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not one of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, the cock crowed. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We have been talking about people here at the Village Church. A little bit like People Magazine, maybe? Or maybe a lot of bit not like People Magazine. Whatever the case may be, we have been focusing our attention on some of the people who are part of the story of the Passion. And as is often the case, we have tended, I think, at least in our minds, perhaps because of some of the things I've even said, that we have tended to divide the two groups of people that we've been talking about, or we've been tended to divide all of the people into two groups. We've divided them into the bad guys and the good guys, the villains and the heroes. We've talked about the soldiers and the government authorities and all those who stood up against Jesus. We've spoken about some of those who were with Jesus. Last week we talked about 
the true villain, perhaps, at least the one whom we judge to be so, in the person of Judas. Today we're going to talk about a person that we consider to be one of the heroes, one of the heroes of Christian faith, arguably one of the most famous people from the scriptures and one of the most famous people of all of Christian history. But I would propose to you that just like last week when we saw how Judas was a normal human being, perhaps today we will see the same about this hero of whom we speak, the hero Peter. So let's talk about Peter for a while, shall we? Let's pretend this is not gossip, and in a way it's not. I'll try to just tell you the truth. Peter's name was Simon, a fascinating name. It's a Greek name that means hearing, hearing, listening carefully, perhaps. How many of you grew up playing a game called Simon Says? I don't really know the origins of that game, but I would suspect it's because it's a game about listening carefully. Now, you know how the game goes. Simon says, pat your tummy. Come on. (laughs) Simon says, stick out your right arm. Stick up your left arm. We need to work on our listening skills here. (laughs) Simon, listening, hearing. When Jesus met Simon, he said, I'm giving you a new name, and now we call him Simon Peter. Peter, from the Aramaic word kephas sometimes spoken as Petros, and you know what that word means, don't you? Rock. Rock. The listening rock. The hearing rock. Maybe someone who goes from incredible obtuseness to incredible acuteness in his listening. Who knows? We say that name Peter in many different ways. I I looked up this morning on the internet to see if Peter still was a popular name given to boys in the English-speaking world, and sadly, it has dropped off the list. But you will not be surprised. In fact, you'll be heartened and gladdened to know that Jack still is at the top of the list (laughs) for the most part. Pierre, the French way of saying Peter. Boutros, the Arabic way of saying Peter. Piotr, the Russian or Polish way of saying Peter. Petero, the Swahili way of saying Peter. Or, in one of God's other chosen languages, Pedro. Pedro. Simon Peter. Simon, later called Peter, was a fisherman on the Lake of Galilee. I know you grew up calling it the Sea of Galilee, but the Sea of Galilee is only about seven miles wide and 14 miles long. It's not a very impressive body of water, except for the fact that it sits in the midst of a desert. Peter, like most of the early disciples, was a fisherman. He was a native of the town of Bethsaida, 
which literally means a fisher's home, the place where the fishermen lived. We know, though, that Peter was living in Capernaum, another town situated by the Sea of Galilee. Peter had a wife. It's possible that Peter and his wife lived with her family because one of the first miracles that Jesus did was healing Peter's mother-in-law. It's possible that Peter knew some rudimentary or colloquial Greek along with the native Aramaic that he spoke. Peter, along with other of his work associates, his brother Andrew, and then the man Zebedee and his sons, Peter was a fisherman. They were allied together. They had a, a cooperative business together. But it's important that we note Peter's background and his profession. As a fisherman, he was an essential worker in that society, in that economy. He was, in some sense, before this actually ever happened, he was a, he was a middle-class kind of person, a respectable, solid, hardworking, backbone of the society kind of guy. Now, we're told that Andrew introduced Peter to Jesus. Andrew had heard Jesus, he was impressed with Jesus, and he said to Peter, you need to come hear this guy. That's the way it often works with Christian faith. You meet somebody who knows Jesus and they think you need to know Jesus. Immediately, immediately, Peter decided to become Jesus' disciple. Now, I want to unpack that word disciple just a little bit. It's a very religious-sounding word. Very few of us use that word disciple unless we're talking about faith. But the word itself is not a religious word. It simply means that you're a student, that you're an apprentice, that you're someone who wants to learn from someone. Peter became Jesus' apprentice so that he could learn about God and learn the ways of God in his life. Peter became such an important person early on in the ministry of Jesus that oftentimes it seems Jesus used Peter's boat not to go fishing, not to go water skiing, not to go hunting for whales, but so that Peter would have a place to preach, so that Jesus would, would have a place to preach. The crowds of people grew so large that the only way for, for Jesus to separate himself from the crowd so that he actually could welcome more people was to get in the boat and set apart from, to, to set out from the shore just a little bit, perhaps only 10 or 15 yards, and he often used Peter's boat for that. He also used Peter's house. It's understood that Peter's house there in Capernaum became sort of the unofficial headquarters of the small band of followers who were closest in to Jesus. We know so much about Peter, there's no way to say everything about him today. But one of the reasons we know so much is because it is generally accepted, as it was reported early in the history of the church, that the gospel according to Mark is actually based on the memories, the memoirs of Peter himself. And when you think about it, a lot of what Mark talks about is what happened in the interaction between Jesus and Peter. 
So without telling all of the stories about Peter, let's remember just a few. You remember the story about how Peter and his fishermen associates had come in in the morning after a, a very terrible night of fishing. They couldn't catch anything. They had wasted their time. They had missed several two-foot putts. It would have been a terrible, terrible night for them. And they come into shore, and Jesus meets them, and they say, we haven't caught any fish. And, and Jesus says, try casting your nets over there. And so they cast their nets over there. And the nets are filled with fish, so many that they can hardly put them into the boat. There was another time when the disciples were out fishing and a huge storm came up. And they were afraid that they were going to drown. And then they saw Jesus walking across the water towards them. And, and they were encouraged and calmed. And Peter Peter said, I want to do that. I think I can do that. So Jesus said, come on out. Come on over. And Peter began to walk on the water. And, and then he got cold feet and actually wet feet and everything else too. He sunk. But he tried. He tried. Another of the great stories about Peter, and in a sense one of the very most important, is when Peter and the disciples were visiting the northern city of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi had been built at the crossroads of three major transportation routes that connected much of the Middle East together. And so people from everywhere always came through Caesarea Philippi. As a result, Caesarea Philippi became a great uh, conglomeration of temples and worship and especially pagan idols set up on a hillside to all the many different gods of the people of the Middle East. Jesus and the disciples went there and apparently after they had visited this one hillside that you still can visit today where there are temples and pagan idols set up everywhere, Jesus had a conversation with the disciples. And he said to them, who do people say that I am? Against the backdrop of all these other gods, all these other beliefs, all these other philosophies, Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And Peter was the first to speak up, as he often was. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the first time in recorded history when someone identified Jesus for who we came to know he is, the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was a high moment in Peter's own walk with Jesus. But then as the conversation continued, Jesus began to tell his disciples that even though he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, he would have to suffer and die. And Peter said, no, that's not the way it's going to turn out. I won't let it happen. And Jesus said, well, that part, Peter, you got wrong. Peter, though, was one of the trusted disciples, as they all were at the beginning, of course. He was part of the inner three, kind of the executive committee of that group of 12. Along with John 
and James. Peter was often the one mentioned with Jesus in his most significant moments. As Jesus came into Jerusalem, was, was preparing to celebrate the Passover with the disciples, they needed to make arrangements, they needed to make reservations at a room, and so Peter was sent ahead to to make a place for them in the room where Jesus would take the bread of the Passover and break it and the wine of the Passover and pour it and talk about his body and blood being broken and poured for us. It was that same evening that, that Jesus began to wash the feet of his disciples. And characteristically, Peter said, no, Jesus, you're getting it wrong again. The master should not wash the disciples' feet. And Peter said, no, I've got it right. I must wash you. Peter had begun to learn by then that maybe Jesus knew what he was talking about. And so Peter said, Jesus, don't wash just my feet. Wash all of me. A little later that evening, Jesus leads the disciples outside of the walled city of Jerusalem, and they go to a beautiful garden on a hillside overlooking the city, the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knows what's coming, and he asks all the disciples to pray with him, and they all pray with him for a while, but then they begin to fall asleep, and so does Peter. Peter, who's always willing to speak up, always willing to volunteer, always willing to get out in front, falls asleep. But then the soldiers come to take Jesus away. And not surprisingly, we learn that Peter has a sword with him. He takes the sword, he cuts off the ear of the slave of the high priest, and Jesus stops him. They take Jesus away. Peter and at least a few of the other disciples follow, but Peter cannot go into the inner courtyard of the high priest's palace where Jesus will be tried and later tortured. We know the story of how Peter denied the fact that he knew Jesus. He was given away by the fact that one of the people had seen Peter there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was given away by the fact that he spoke like a country hick. He had the accent of a Galilean, something that the hoity-toity, high and mighty folks down in Jerusalem looked down their noses at. It was a few days after Jesus was executed that some of the women went to the tomb and discovered it empty and had an encounter with the risen Christ and came to tell the men and Peter was one of the first to run and get there and discover that Jesus was alive again. Later on, after the disciples had had many meetings with the risen Christ. They were gathered together in an upper room and, and the Spirit of God was poured among all the people and what, the, what we call historically the Pentecost. And it was Peter who began to preach. Peter who preached the first Christian sermon ever. He had been already the first among equals the leader of the disciples, after Jesus, of course, and then he became the leader of the early church. 
So much so that when the church encountered its first argument, yes, there are arguments in the church. When the church had its first theological disagreement, its first conflict that threatened to split the church, Peter was one of the principal characters. On the other side of the argument was a guy named Paul, not a common garden variety hick fisherman who spoke with a bad accent from the north, but Paul, the erudite, educated, cosmopolitan Pharisee who also followed Jesus. Paul said that Jesus was meant to be the savior of the whole world, Gentiles included, not just Jews. Peter said, no, Jesus is just for the Jews. God then gave to Peter a great vision of all of the unclean animals along with the clean animals, all of the things in God's creation that God said to Peter are good things. And then finally, Peter was convinced that Jesus was meant for all. Later on, Peter went to the heart of civilization at that time into Rome. And he served the church there. He became the leader of the church there, the bishop of Rome. As the bishop of Rome, many of our cousins, many of our brothers and sisters, many of those in the Christian family will say that, that Peter established a dynasty and that those who succeed him as the bishop of Rome are those who lead the church. Protestants have a different view of that, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But don't let it hang you up right now. Let's understand that as history played out, Peter became the first great leader of the church, only later in some sense to be superseded by Paul. But Peter's influence continues in the two letters that are attributed to him, in the discipleship that he modeled for us in the death that he died, who when he was convicted and tried of treason against the Roman state, when he was sentenced to die by crucifixion, he asked that he be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to be crucified in the same way that his Lord and Savior had been. It is by tradition that Peter is buried at the site now covered by St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. There's a lot more to know about Peter, but some, those are some of the important things to think about. As we then try to learn from Peter, an ordinary guy, as we try to learn from him what the business of being a Christian is all about, I think that God was very intentional in calling people who had not been philosophically, religiously, liturgically, ecclesiastically trained, God called an ordinary person. In fact, all of the ones he called at the beginning were just ordinary folks who would actually listen to what God had to say about what God really wanted in the world. Peter was one of the first to follow Jesus. And he usually was the first to say something or to do something. And oftentimes, he was wrong. Peter was one of those kinds of guys who said, ready 
shoot, aim. <laughs> Not the other way around. Was he impulsive sometimes? Yes. Was he mistaken sometimes? Of course. But Peter did something. He didn't sit there and play it safe. He didn't wait till he had everything figured out. He didn't wait till a committee said he could do something. He didn't study a problem to death. He went for it. And he was blessed because of it. One of the less wise things Peter said to Jesus was that he would never let Jesus down. That everyone might run in fear and shame because of their cowardice, but Peter wouldn't. And yet Peter did. Just like Judas, in his own way, Peter betrayed Jesus. But there's one crucial difference in Peter and Judas. Peter had seen into the heart of his Savior. Peter knew, whether he knew that he knew or not, I don't know, but something in him knew that Jesus loved him and that Jesus always would. And so when Judas gave up on himself, and in effect gave up on Jesus. Peter did not make that same mistake. Think of what it must have been like on that morning after the disciples had come back from fishing, after the resurrection, when they still were trying to figure out what had happened with Jesus. And Jesus shows up as they're cooking their breakfast did Peter run away? Did Peter hide? Did Peter try to excuse himself and explain himself before Jesus? No. Peter stood up and faced the music. Peter stood up and looked his Savior in the eye, and his Savior looked at him and said, Do you love me more than these? And he said, Yes three times. And so Jesus said, feed my sheep. That's what forgiveness is about. That's what redemption and renewal is all about. That's what the life of Christian discipleship is all about. Regardless of what has happened, regardless of who wants to cancel you out of life, regardless of who says that your sin is unforgivable, Jesus, the only Savior, stands there in front of Peter, who rejected him, who denied him, and said, keep going. Our Roman Catholic part of the family says that back there at Caesarea Philippi, when Peter said to Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that Jesus answered him in this way. Jesus said, this is the rock on which I will build my church. The Catholic part of our family says that Peter himself was the rock. 
that through Peter's ministry, through his leadership, and then the leadership of those who still are perhaps his successors, that that is what will build the church, perhaps. We Protestant folks like to say that what Jesus meant was not that Peter was the rock, but that Peter's faith in Jesus, his confession of Jesus, his understanding, his trust, his decision that Jesus was the one who truly leads, that that was the rock. Jesus himself is the rock. And it is our faith and our faithful following of Jesus, sometimes making mistakes, sometimes getting it wrong, sometimes being foolish, sometimes being clueless, but always coming back always starting again, never, never, never giving up. That's what Peter did. That is the rock, is our faith in the one who always loves and forgives and redeems and renews. And so we keep going. We keep being part of the rock that builds the church, the church which is called to be about the business of renewing the whole world. It's a holy calling upon which the world demands and depends for its own life. Thank you, Peter, for helping teach us that lesson. Amen. Will you please join me as we affirm our faith by reading the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Holy Week began with crowds and crowds of people cheering and waving their branches and happy and excited and waiting for something wonderful to happen. And then they all disappeared, including Peter. I like to think it was a very quiet and still almost unnoticeable morning when Peter and Jesus had what for Peter was what we now call a a come-to-Jesus moment. (laughs) And because Peter came to Jesus, he kept going. And so do we, because Jesus loves us. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forever. Let God's people say together so that God can hear it up in his heaven. Amen. Amen.